We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, my friends. Thank you for being with us here today on Empower Radio. Have you ever wanted a lot of relationships? and maybe dreamed of one big happy family. I know, I used to watch the Brady Bunch and I was transfixed. I imagined how great it would be to be Marsha with all those cute brothers. And I recently found out that the Brady Bunch was inspired by a very successful film in the 60s called Yours, Mine, and Ours. It starred Lucille Ball and Henry Fonda and was a massive success. In fact, it earned nearly $26 million at the box office and was the fourth highest grossing film of 1968. It also won a Golden Globe. Yours, Mine, and Ours was inspired by a real-life family based out of Carmel named the Beardsley Norths. In the film, this family appeared to be a blissfully, happily blended family, which included eight of Helen North's children and ten of Frank Beardsley's children. Then they had two of their own. The Beardsley North family became somewhat famous and ended up in newspapers, on television, movies, and in commercials. But the truth was not as the family depicted, and the family was far from blissful. The stepfather was violent and abusive and created a life of intimidation, confusion, turmoil, fear, and deep depression for the North children. Today, we're joined by Tom North, Helen's second oldest son. Tom is a successful financial advisor, author, writer, poet, adventurer, and inspirational speaker. But before he could become all of these things, he had to make sense out of his history and his dysfunctional family. So now we have the opportunity to find out more about the real story hidden behind the spotlight. Tom has written an Amazon best-selling book called True North, The Shocking Truth About Yours, Mine, and Ours. This book has won a Living Now Award gold medal, is touted as recommended reading by the Washington Times, and has garnered rave reviews by Writer's Digest. Tom is now revealing how he survived the ordeal of living with a horrifyingly abusive stepfather that drove him to depression and drugs and deprived him of his self-worth, and a mother who protected protected the image of the perfect family at all costs. So, Tom North, thank you so much for being here today on Journey to Center. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on your show, Tammy. Absolutely. I was just on vacation and read your book. And usually I read self-help books. It's rare that I get to read uh, a book like yours. And I just couldn't put it down. I was so uh, involved in your story and just so you know, just entranced by your experience. And I'd like to know a little bit more um, about your history, your book, and, and why you wrote this this book, well, this story. First of all, thank you for your comments. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, it was, um, uh, perhaps we should start with a little backstory for your listeners. The, Perfect, uh, the yes. Story, yeah, the story goes back to, to 1961 when Helen North, who was a widow with eight children, married a man named Frank Beardsley, who was a widower with 10 children. And when we add 10 and eight together, it equals ridiculous. 
But that's what they did. They got married. They had uh, 18 children right away. And then they had two more, which means a family with 20 children. And wow. so the, the combination of these two families was a human interest story at the time. Lucille Ball saw it in the newspapers, called my mother and stepfather and said, I want to make a movie about your, the combining of these two big families. And so she did. And as you mentioned a moment ago, it was wildly successful. And, uh, and the only unfortunate aspect of it was that it was 180 degrees, uh, the opposite of what the children were experiencing in real life. So I wrote the book, to answer your question directly, uh, I wrote the book because I felt that it was a story that needed to be told and would help people. And in fact, that is what is happening. I can see why. Absolutely. So there was such a contrast between the real family and the movie family. You know, it was depicted as, as fun and happy and maybe a little crazy. But in fact, you, there was a lot of abuse. It was, it was hard to read. Some of it was really hard to read. Um, and that really kind of, it, it seemed like it really fractured your sense of self. Like you had this really ideal childhood before with your real father. And then it was like, again, just completely the other end of the spectrum after Frank Beardsley came into your life. It was, it was, um, it had to be so confusing for you. So that's a really good point. Um, for the first six years, six years of my life, I enjoyed a relatively uh, normal experience. There was a lot of love in the North household, as evidenced by lots of laughing, a lot of hugging and kissing between mm -hmm. uh, my mother and my dad, uh, Richard North, and a lot of playing with their children and just a lot of, of uh, uh, love and, and warmth in the household. When my dad died when I was six years old, uh, it was devastating, as it would be to, to most children. And then when 15 months later, my mother married Frank Beardsley, the, the uh, environment changed completely to, from one of, of love and warmth to uh, fear and intimidation. So the contrast was so great as to be uh, crazy-making. And uh, we had a real hard time dealing with it. I, I really got the sense of that. And it seemed, it seemed you were given a lot of freedom and maybe in some ways kind of almost raised yourself. You spent a lot of time in, in nature and, and at the ocean. And, and it seemed like that may have been a saving grace for you. Well, the upside, the upside to having so many children in the household was that I could disappear and no one would know that I was gone. And there was, there was other aspects to that. Number one is that I, I didn't get much attention from my mother at all. But the, the positive uh, implication of that was that I had freedom to come and go as I chose. And, and I really took advantage of that, as you said. And I spent a lot of time out in nature, at the beach, at the river, in the, in the mountains, and that's what saved me.
Yeah, you became quite the hunter and fisherman and, and often uh, brought a lot of food home for the family and such. It was like you were really um, participating and helping in that way. I thought that was very interesting. Well, I did my best. Uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, my mother wasn't the best cook in the world. And so uh, her idea of cooking fish wasn't uh, uh, very creative. So uh, not a lot of people wanted to eat what she was cooking. Um, but I did bring home a lot of fish for the family because of the uh, proximity to the ocean and, and my fishing skills. Yeah, it was fun to read about that. You had a lot of adventures. You ended up going to Alaska. Uh, you went on a, a fishing boat, a salmon fishing boat. It seemed like you had a lot of adventures. Um, and then, But it also seemed like you were suffering. You were really struggling inwardly. Is that accurate? Well, that is accurate. And, and what happened is that all of the children in the family were subjected to the the vagaries of uh, Frank Beardsley, who was psychotic. And so we never knew when he was going to explode and who his next victim was going to be. And so uh, as I was experiencing this for 11 years as a member of the, of the Beardsley family, um, I went into a severe depression. And I was, I was a mess. And, and during my teen years, I was self-medicating with recreational drugs. And it wasn't until I was about 22 years old that I started to come out of it. And, uh, but it was a very difficult time. And if it hadn't been for my escape into nature, um, you know, uh, it, it might have been worse. Mm-hmm. I really hear that. So what would you say, Tom, was the turning point in your life? Because today you're very, it seems very grounded, very successful. You're in a wonderful marriage. Uh, How did this come to be considering all that you'd gone through? Well, um, I was, I was really uh, in a, a depressed state. I was in the way I describe it in the book is I was a broken soul. And, when I was 22, a friend of mine introduced me to Transcendental Meditation, and that was the beginning of my recovery. I find that just so fascinating. I know uh, for me, meditation, I really believe, that's why I call the show Journey to Center. It's really about that place of being connected and aligned, and for me, meditation is absolutely how I maintain that, and I am excited about getting you back on the show to talk about Transcendental Meditation. I want to know more about that. And I know there's a lot of people that would benefit from that conversation. So I'm excited to get deeper into that very subject. So um, how do you feel that changed things for you? Well, it was, uh, it was uh, actually nothing short of uh, dramatic. And I really didn't know what I was going to be experiencing. I just knew that I was desperate for a change. In fact, um, as I write about in the book, some friends of mine and I were sitting around smoking pot and getting high, and we had a very intellectual conversation about the chemical alteration of our own consciousness, and that we were probably doing some damage to our brain cells uh, by smoking marijuana, and I'm sure there's a lot of marijuana smokers who would 
disagree with that, but that was our our uh, assumption at the time, and that there must be some way to alter consciousness without chemical stimulation. Well, we didn't come up with a solution, but about a year later, one of those same friends came into the house and he said, I found it. I said, you found what? And he <laughs> said, uh, remember that conversation we had? And he reminded me and I said, yes, of course. And he said, well, I found it. It's called Transcendental Meditation and it alters consciousness without the chemical influence. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, then you're in a dangerous place because you're standing between me and the door. <laughs> and I went down there right away and, and learned to meditate. Yeah, and you were very committed to this practice. You ended up going to college. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, yes. Actually, it was a really, talk about adventure. That was a, uh, a really wonderful and adventurous experience because when I started practicing TM, I took to it like a duck to water, and, and I said, gosh, this is so wonderful. How can I do more of this? And one of the TM teachers said, well, there is a university in Fairfield, Iowa, where you can go and do extended meditations and um, you know, meditate for hours at a time. And I said, oh, I'm there. I'm going there. And so I began investigating and of course, we didn't have an internet back then, uh, so I couldn't go online. But I started gathering as much information as I could and uh, eventually became a student there. And it didn't take me very long. I learned to practice uh, TM in February of 1975. And by December, I was a student there. Yeah, it was a four-year college. I was surprised I'd never heard of this school before. Is it, is it MIU? I was looking online. Is it MUM or is it MIU? It's, it's a, it was MIU. It was okay. called Maharishi International University. And the Maharishi himself changed the name to Maharishi University of Management. Uh, and he said that, that really everything in life is about proper management. Mm-hmm. So he changed the name of the university to okay. MUM. That's I hadn't put all the dots together, but I was doing a little internet exploring, and that was kind of what I thought happened, but I wasn't sure. So thank you for clarifying that. So yeah, that was a four-year college. That's that's it was a, it's like a real like education. It's like that was impressive well, what you did putting yourself through that school. Yeah, it's a fully accredited university with uh, with classes from grade school right through PhD in a whole variety of of disciplines. And it wasn't woo-woo. I mean, you got your degree in accounting, bookkeeping? I got my degree in business administration. Uh-huh. Uh, many of my classmates had their degrees in physics or fine arts or music. Uh, if you can think of a discipline, it was probably taught there. Yeah, that's incredible. I think if I would have found out about that back when I was wanting to go to school, I may have ended up there. <laughs> Well, Sounds like a still, really incredible experience. Yes, you can still go there. Well, I've got two PhDs <laughs> and uh, three master's degrees, and, and I've, I feel like I'm, I've done it. <laughs> but I do meditate. I want to know more about that. <laughs> so that's going to be a fun conversation. So, Tom, you had mentioned something a little bit earlier, and I want to kind of get back to that. What are some of the things that people say to you? What are some of, the, some of the comments they make after they've read your book? 
Very, very good question, Tammy. And one of the responses that I've heard again and again and again from people is that they see themselves in this story. Mm-hmm. And they tell me, they say, don't think, Tom, that this is just about you. Mm-hmm. This is about all of us. And uh, one woman said, you know, I've struggled with my emotions around my childhood all of my adult life. And finally, you've given me a voice I never had. Mm-hmm. Wow. How powerful. It really was. Did you know when you were writing the book that that was going to be the case? I really didn't. Um, But as I was researching the writing of memoir, I came across an article written by a literature professor. And one of the things that jumped off the page at me was that he said, remember that if the writer don't cry, the reader don't cry. Wow. And that was so powerful for me. And what it told me was that I was going to have to put my heart and soul into this story, yes, into this yes, book. Yes. And it has really been uh, very, very rewarding for not only myself, but apparently for many readers as well. That's incredible. I, I was uh, brought to tears myself. I mean, it was just, it was, it was, some of it was very hard to read. And, and I saw some of myself in your story as well. My, my mom and dad divorced. My mom married a stepfather who was abusive, certainly not to the degree that your stepfather was abusive. But I, I know um, in my reality, it, it definitely fractured me. And it's taken a lot of work to become really whole again, you know, the healing journey. So I definitely related to a lot of your story. And I imagine it's, it's much more common than we may know. You know, um, you also wrote about the, the physical, the sexual abuse that your sisters suffered from with that, that man. And I was like, I can't believe this. I can't believe this actually happened, that your mom just kind of turned a blind eye to it. But you also talked about the statistics of um, incest that occurs with you know, uh, children. And it's astonishing. It's, it's much more common than we might think. And unfortunate in that context, um, there is a lot of research being done on this by the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta. And they produced a study called the ACE study, which stands for Adverse Childhood Experience. And they did this in conjunction with Kaiser Permanente Hospital. And they surveyed 15,339 recipients of government-sponsored health care and asked them a series of questions. Uh, And they cited 12 different possible adverse childhood experiences that one could have. And what they found is that not only is this, this... phenomenon of of adverse childhood experience much more common than we had previously thought, but that if for the respondents who were 40 years of age or older and had more than three ACEs in their response, the incidence for adult onset chronic disease was 100%. Wow, that's... um pretty incredible statistics. It's, it's a huge number. I was shocked. 
I'm, I'm kind of shocked myself. I mean, I, I'm not one of those statistics, thankfully. Um, but I've, I've, I'm a counselor and I can't believe how often it comes up. It's like, I would say more of the women than not have experienced some sort of abuse, physical abuse. And, and what the study illustrates is that if we don't do something about it, if we do not make an attempt to reconcile the emotionally charged memories that we carry in our physiology, then it will create disease in our yes. bodies as yes. we age. Unease is the cause of disease. There you yeah, go. That comes from yeah, that that unhealed emotional trauma for sure. Yeah, something I really believe in is the balance and combination of uh, spirituality and psychology. That's what my degrees are in. Found it fascinating in yours that you'd done a lot of meditating, but you still had some psychological healing to do around, you know, your poverty consciousness and the emotional stuff for you to become really whole. I, I thought that was really, um, you know, to me, that's that that's what it takes. Those are the pieces of the puzzle that have to be brought together in order to become really, really whole. And um, it was it was interesting to read that as part of your story as well. So, with your background, uh, you would you would identify those different aspects of the healing process. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think uh, it, it includes that connection, that relationship to source or our higher self, or you know, the universe, God, whatever you want to say. But then also taking care of that inner child. And I saw you taking responsibility for the meditation uh, for, you know, diligently, but then you also had to go back and deal with your memories and, and uh, bring that compassion to that young boy that suffered so deeply through your process. It's, it's really interesting when we think about uh, the combination of meditation as a daily practice yeah. and yet periodic dealing with errant, what I call errant programming in the mm -hmm. brain, errant mm -hmm. software that was planted there mm -hmm. by uh, people who had more power than we had when we were children. Mm -hmm. And you may, you may remember having read the book that, that I talk about that uh, in one of the anecdotes about my daughter when she was 18 months old and, and how I had this uh, kind of a, a software bomb go off in my brain. Yes. And it was, it was terrible what was happening in my brain. And fortunately, I had the presence of mind to not follow the instructions I was given. Yeah, that was profound. You know, it's, it brings to mind that, that saying in the Bible, the sins of the father are handed down to the son. And just saying to myself, I will never be like that is not generally enough for you not to be like that. That was handed down to you. And I believe, you know, yeah, that when we have children, I'm a stepmother myself, our kids can provoke those unhealed um, experiences, those wounds inside of ourselves. But you use that opportunity where you had this like anger to, you know, ask yourself what's going on here and to be able to work through that process. So that was, that was pretty powerful. And that's one of the anecdotes in the story that people cite as something that helps them quite a bit. 
Yes. Uh, because, because you they, didn't judge it. You were like curious about it. You were like, what is going on here? So I, you, you took great responsibility for that. It was very honest of you because that's not an easy thing to admit, but it was so powerful. I think so important. Yeah, and I had to tell my wife, I said, I have to tell you what just happened inside my head. It was wow. the most amazing thing. And, and so we talked about it and uh, we were just grateful that I had not followed through on the negative instructions I had been given because I could have killed that child's desire to ever help her father ever again in her life. Yes. And, uh, and I yeah. was able to avoid that. And you nurtured her instead. So that was incredible. So Tom, say people are listening. They're like, I really want a copy of this book or they want to know more about you or how to get a hold of you. How might they do that? Well, I do have a website. It's called truenorthbytomnorth.com. And I am a national sponsor of CASA, which is Court-Appointed Special Advocates for Children. So if any of your listeners purchase True North, The Shocking Truth About Yours, Mine, and Ours, on my website, 10% of the proceeds of sale will go to CASA. And that's a very, very worthy organization that helps children all over the country. Uh, the, awesome. the book is also available at Amazon or wherever books are sold. <laughs> and I really, really, really recommend it. Like I said, you know, I read a lot of books and again, mostly self-help. Um, but your book was, and it is, it's kind of self-help through the side door. It's an amazing story. It's like, it's like we're on this journey with you and it's, it's fascinating. It was really very, 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 very interesting, but there's so much um, wisdom and um, opportunities to do our own healing through the experience of reading it. So thank you so much for writing it, Tom, and doing so with such authenticity and such heart. And thanks for being here for this conversation today. I just think you're amazing. Just lovely. My pleasure, Tammy, and thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely. So to my listeners, thank you for hanging out with us. Uh, Please get a hold of me, TammyBPhD.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thoughts, ideas, suggestions, anything you want to share with me, it's about connection. So God bless you. Thank you. Onward and upward. Bye for now.